This is the West Coast Project podcast for Making a Murderer, and I'm Mike, and I'm here with a special guest host with me tonight, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Hey, let's tell everybody you're my niece. Yes, I am Mike's niece. And Liz, you actually told me about this show before I watched it. Yeah, I did. I heard about it from my boyfriend. He loves Reddit, and he saw it on Reddit and saw all the comments and posts about it pretty much a week after it came out, and I had to watch it. So he watched it a second time with me, and it's such a crazy story about this man. Yeah, it is really crazy. But so, Liz, I remember about you when you were a little kid, because you're my niece, you're younger than me, that you were always into, like, CSI and crime shows. So I thought you'd be, like, the perfect guest host for this. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a crazy case. And I actually had a CSI game where you could play on the computer. And I think it's cool because this story, it lets you kind of follow along with the whole story and you feel like you're a part of it and you feel like you're a part of the whole process that it's going on with. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you're super smart. So I, I, I think you probably have like really good analytical skills and like you actually helped me with one of my companies take all the notes down and you kind of watched what we did and then you helped me write an employee manual. Yeah, so yeah. So you're good with details. So I think you'd be good at this. Yeah. Well, this story, I feel like just there's so many details that you have to look at them and so many different things come out. And with this, the second episode, it's kind of crazy. Things are just starting to twist and it starts off with the whole Teresa going missing. And then it goes into Steven and how he's getting out of jail and he's going through all of this lawsuit stuff. And it's such a crazy idea thinking that the cops could put him up to it. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I was just going to say, we'll go through the details of this particular show, like step by step, but What's your overall impression of the whole series? You've seen the whole series. Yeah, um, it's definitely an eye-opener. I never really could imagine that this could happen. And you always look at the law enforcement and you think that they're there to help you. And that's what I believe. Like, I believe cops are good and cops are great. But after watching this, it's definitely an eye-opener and thinking, because I personally think that the cops did have something to do with it, or it could have been his brother. I don't think Stephen Avery did it, but that's just my opinion. Um, it's yeah, so it's just with, crazy seeing it. With shows like this, for me, it's how, it's like how do you feel? Like how how does this make me feel in my gut? Like more than my intellect could dig up if I try to uncover facts and look at court transcripts and all the scenes and the words and just re rewatching everything. It's just the gut. Like how does it make you feel? Uh, yeah, I think that's I why know. this show grabbed so many people and pulled them into it because it's like people are angry. They're starting petitions and, you know, they're trying to help Stephen Avery, a guy they don't even know, get out of jail because of this. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It makes me feel also watching it like kind of anxious and just kind of wondering what is going to happen next. Like, yeah. how, can, how can they take this and then move it on to the next point? The other thing that impressed me about this series was just the insane level of ineptitude from the whole thing, regardless of who did it. If he did it, fine. But just the the police are so inept and so they're just bald-faced, bald-faced liars. Yeah. You tell they're yeah. lying. Yeah. And uh, just kind of putting blame on other people. I feel like there's a lot of things that went on that they know was wrong and they just don't want to really fess up to it and say that they did it. So they just kind of push it under the rug and get by that way. Well, this one is episode two. And I didn't notice until my rewatch, Liz, that these have t- 
titles. These episodes have titles. Oh, really? Yeah, this one's called Turning the Tables, and it starts out on October 31st, 2005. And it starts out with, we hear Teresa's phone call uh, about her appointment with Stephen to come out and do the photography of of the car. And I noticed when I heard this for the second time that she doesn't really sound worried, and she doesn't sound upset or like she's dreading it, which they kind of try to say later that, she didn't want to have anything to do with Steven, and he was creepy to her, and she was upset about ever ever having to see him again. She didn't sound like that. No, yeah. It sounded like just a normal business call. She was going out just to take some more pictures, and it didn't seem like they had any, or even Steven would have any ulterior motive. It just seemed like it was just a normal business transaction. Then we get this creepy video of her. Um, she's talking about dying before the age of 31, and she's kind of smiling and smirking as she's talking on this video. Um, she she wants people that she loved to know that she was happy with life. And she kind of sounds like she knows something's going to happen to her. Yeah. After rewatching it, I found that really strange. I forgot that the first time I had watched it. But it just seems strange. I don't know if I would necessarily have videotaped myself talking about my death and what I wanted people to think of. And it just had a kind of an eerie quality to it. It was, it was strange. Yeah. I, I, I wonder if this was like a dramatic composition by the producers. Like they really dug this up somewhere and found it. Cause it makes, it makes you really start to think, okay, she knew, she knew something was going on. She knew she wasn't going to live a full life. Yeah. I and mean, if you look through anybody's whole life, you could find some period in their life. You could comb through an old letter or email or something or a post where they sounded sad or depressed, but it just seemed so weird to have this video of her. Yeah, and that they were able to find it. I think the producers of this documentary had, they did an awesome job. And I think just finding all these little evidence pieces. So Liz, what do you think happened to her? I I don't know. I think that's a question a lot of people are having, but I think that it could have either been his brother, the one that lived next to him, or the cops, I think, might have had some little part of it, like Colburn and Link, the those two cops, part of the um, Manitowoc County. I, I don't know. Like, what are your thoughts? Do you... Yeah, that well, them because, and we'll get into that because there is really seem there seems to be a motive for these police and all these yeah, law enforcement yeah. to want Stephen in big trouble, and that's one good way to get him in trouble. But it seems like a huge price to pay to kill an innocent woman to make that all happen. Um, yeah. The other thing that's going to happen in this episode too is we, we're going to meet some people that seem also suspicious to me. Like she has a very creepy brother. Yes. And she has a creepy boyfriend. ex-boyfriend and roommate that are all involved in the search. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll come up on that. Um, so another cool thing about this show is the I think the photography is really cool. They use some time-lapse photography. They show, like, mirrored shots from the car paint and the car windows and stuff. So the producers mm-hmm. are really good at what, what they do here. It's not just not just a still camera with stock photos. They're pretty, they're pretty artistic. With it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think was it the producers? It was for a project they were doing in the beginning. I oh, think I don't know. I don't know too much about their their motivation. Why they were doing it? I heard it was some sort of school project, but I may be completely wrong. But that's what I had heard it was from. So the next thing in this episode is so they say September eighteenth, two thousand and three. Stephen's showing the reporters around the salvage yard, and they kind of build the history of Stephen's life. 
Um, the reporters talk about how his wife divorced him when he was in prison and how he ha- even had to live in some ice shanty, like some ice igloo or some crazy place because he didn't mm-hmm. have anywhere to live. And but he's forgive he's forgiving for every for everything. He forgives his wife for leaving him because he kind of understands. Well, I was in jail, and you know what's she going to do with the family? She wanted to start over, and she did that. Yeah, um, that's I think pretty telling about him that he's able to forgive people. Yeah, uh, yeah, and well, but they do ask him, "Would you ever be able to forgive Manitowoc County?" And he says, "I don't." think I could. I do remember he did say that. But for the fact that throughout this whole series, he's so adamant about the fact that he is innocent and he has not done anything. And he sticks to that fact the whole time. I think that is one of the big points that made me think and believe that he is innocent. Yeah, me too. He's like rock solid. He never yeah. makes, he never, he never trips changes. up and makes a mistake. And he never sounds guilty. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so next they show me shopping. He's getting new clothes and he's starting to actually become a bit of a celebrity with the Wisconsin government officials and politicians. And there's one guy they show the state representative, Mark Gundrum, who looked at the time like he was going to create this task force force to uh, oust all the wrongdoers and prevent it from ever happening again. He, this guy looked this young, sharp politician look like he's going to be a fantastic ally for Stephen. Because if you have a state official setting up like a compensatory fund and he's going to go after all the evil police, I mean, that's turning pretty good in Stephen's favor. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was great, but I never, I couldn't tell. Do you think he could have been using that for ulterior motives and for his trial of or his campaign of becoming? Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, and kind of going towards the lower man. But no, I think it was definitely helpful to Avery for his case to have someone with a lot of power behind him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Steven then testifies at this task force. And when, when he's doing that, he's crying about his lost family. So uh, Liz, this tells me that all his earlier apologies to his wife, you know, like it's okay that she left him. He wasn't apologizing to her, but he understood. He, it tells me that he's sincere about that. It's not just a little thing that his wife left him while he was in jail. It's it hurt him, and he still was able to to forgive her for that. Yeah, he seems very authentic throughout the whole series. He seems very true about what he's saying. So it made me wonder, Liz, where are all these people now? Like, where's this guy, Mark Gundrum? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. After this whole um, series came out, I think a lot of wheels started turning and people started looking at other people. And like later on when Avery has his lawyers helping him defend with the Teresa case, I think a lot of wheels started turning and people started noticing these people that had been kind of underground helping Stephen out for the past years. Yeah, and maybe you're right. Maybe once his political needs were kind of served, is Stephen lost any value value to him? I don't know. That's so sad, though, that he just was using him like that. Yeah. Um, but even next, even Penny Burnson forgives him. She's the woman that got raped and he served the oh, 18 yeah. years for. She hugs him, and um, it's just really emotional to watch all this. Yeah. Well, I think having that on your conscience, knowing that it wasn't her fault, but it was something that had happened to her that put this man away for 18 years. She probably had that on her conscious feeling like she had a small, small part of it. Um, even though 
she had no choice in putting him away. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't blame her for anything. I, I And then she no. really is truly sorry, too. She's yeah. not just giving him crocodile tears. Yeah. Um. So the a, the task force creates the Avery Bill. They actually go through with it. And Stephen goes back to work. And he looks pretty happy, Liz. I think he was always happy. You know, there's a couple of times he's mad because he's frustrated, but he's basically a he's basically a dumb guy, but he's basically a yeah. happy person. Yeah. Well, it tell. seems like yeah, it seems like the whole Avery family they're happy, but they're very, they have just a very basic lifestyle and they're fine with that. They don't need all the frills of life, but they they're just happy with their family and he even said he was like I just wanted to spend time with my family like and all the money he could win from any kind of case, it would never make up the time he missed with having his family and all of his experiences and everything. Right. And that's telling, too. So, like, why would he commit another crime that would put him right back in jail? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he meets this woman, Jody, and he starts talking about their future together. Um, and these scenes kind of intercut back and forth. We see Mark Gundrum, the state rep, again. He talks about compensation for Stephen's wrongful, wrongful conviction. And they first consider twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> I know. Uh, then, so he bumps it up to okay. They wanted twenty five thousand for eighteen years. So he bumps it up to okay. How about at least twenty five thousand a year? So that was four hundred and fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, it's just such a pitifully low amount of money to be in jail for. A for third 18 of your years life. of your life. I know, I know. But the thing with Stephen, though, he was okay with that. It seemed like he he just wanted to prove the point. He didn't necessarily care about the money, which was such a awesome thing. Is like he just wanted to prove a point. Like I didn't deserve to be here. I wasn't meant to be here. I just want to prove that and put that out there on the plate. Yeah. We actually meet another person, his his cousin, Kim Ducat, who says he never wanted to leave Manitowoc, which he probably could have. Just leave it. Just what yeah. the hell? I'm getting out of here. But he didn't want to f- make it look like he was on the run or being run out of town. He wanted to fit in, and, he, and it becomes almost like a battle of wills with him. Like, you won't run me out of town. You won't make my family look bad. Um, yeah. Which tells me he's pretty much thinks he's innocent, you know, mm-hmm. unless he's some psycho that just did this with a second personality. I think he really makes himself look innocent. I think he believes himself he's innocent. Yeah. No, I 100 percent agree with that. OK, so now we're up to September 11th, 2004. Um, they interview the family and Steven looks a little older in my eyes. He starts to look like a little bit like this is wearing him down a little bit. He looks a little older and maybe a little better. <laughs> yeah. A little more normal. He doesn't have that giant Santa Claus beard and the crazy hair. And the ponytail. Yeah. 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 So they start to talk about the lawsuit um, and uh, how he's going to sue them now. And we meet his attorney, Stephen Glynn. And it's really hard to keep track of all these people. You need quite the scorecard with all these attorneys and people coming in and out of this Mm -hmm. series. But Stephen Glynn and Walter Kelly are his attorneys, the first set of attorneys. Um, And they make the point that Stephen, like you said, Liz, didn't really care so much about the money. He just didn't want what happened to him to be repeated to somebody else or what happened to Penny to be repeated. Yeah, yeah. To have someone who's innocent in jail while the person who was initially committing the crime is out there doing it again. Right. So all this, all this suit is all happening in Milwaukee at the courthouse in Milwaukee. We see that courthouse. 
Um, and the suit basically says, Liz, that the district attorney and the sheriff were obliged to turn in the exculpatory evidence. So the evidence that would have gotten Stephen off the hook, they were obliged to turn that into the defense, but they never did. Mm-hmm. So they come up with a figure of $36 million, which is $1 million per year for the 18 years, and then another $1 million per each of the 18 years for penalty to I think they called it deterrence damages so that they penalize them so they wouldn't do it again. So those two 18s come out to be the 36. And and the yeah. lo- the lawsuit is Avery Stephen Avery versus Manitowoc County and then Thomas Kuchorek who's the sheriff and Dennis Vogel was the district attorney. So those two people personally were being sued. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that scared them the most was a little bit later on, I don't know if you're going to cover it, but the insurance company for Mantua County said they would not cover it. So those people were, they had to pay it out of pocket. Like their insurance was not going to be covering that. So I think that's what scared them the most. And I think that is a huge motive to set them up for the later on Teresa yeah, and also the fact that if the insurance wasn't going to cover it, that it would come out of the retirement fund of, like, everybody in Manitowoc yeah, County. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they would they would be hated by everyone as well. Hated or they would protect it. They would not let it happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, Liz, now we meet these two people, this uh, police officer, Dvorak and Couchet. Oh, man, Liz, these, this is where, if you didn't hate people yet, this is where, at least for me, I really started to hate these people. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Judy Dvorak is one of the police women, police people. She's on the stand, and of course, she has a hard time remembering, with my air quotes around hard time remembering, facts um, that she at the time said it looked like Stephen Avery. Uh, she destri- described him even as a dirty man, that they had to make him take a shower every time they saw him. Um, and now she's trying to change that and say, well, I wouldn't say that. That's not nice. I wouldn't say a mean thing like that. And she kind of weasels out of it by saying that she doesn't remember exactly what happened. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the law enforcement during this time and when they're being asked these questions, they say they don't remember it or they say they said it differently that time. I don't, they Their stories change the whole way through. Right. And then this guy, Gene Couchet, is the guy that drew the artwork, put the artwork mm-hmm. of Stephen's face together with the pictures and Made the little made the little framed thing that he hung up in his office is like a yeah. keepsake. Uh, this guy, he might be number one hateable in this whole thing for me. Um, he says he tries to say in his testimony that he doesn't believe what's in the papers, so he tries to reduce it. Like, well, they just put it in the papers. I don't believe everything that's in the papers. But his attorney catches him. Stephen's attorney tries to get him uh, tries to get him to admit that. You know, they found DNA, dude. It's not just like it was a report yeah. in the papers. Um, and this guy, Couchet, won't even admit that they know now that it's Gregory Allen. I know, even though it's the DNA. And he says, I stick by the picture that I drew of the man. But, yeah, no, they had DNA pointing directly toward it. And it, he goes in circles with all of his arguments. And it's it's hard to watch. It's crazy thinking that he – I think he just – doesn't want to admit it. Doesn't want to admit that he was wrong. Yeah, he's and he says, "I'm just the pencil." I, you know, I just drew. Yeah. It, you know, but he's lying. You could tell he's freaking lying. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a problem, Liz. Okay, so the other attorney, Glenn, says because Stephen had little money, that 
they were worried that the lawyers from the insurance company could just step up and make a lowball offer of like, okay, give you a million bucks, just walk away from all this. And as somebody with no money, that would seem like a huge amount of money and they would just accept it. Mm-hmm. And everybody would get, you know, they would get everybody off the hook with that. But there's a, there's a solution. And the legis- actually that legislator group solved this by they moved to make him an offer of the 425000 So the state gives him that money and he has the staying power. So that kind of makes him immune from that lowball offer that the attorneys were worried about the insurance company might step up and offer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now we meet a new character, Liz, his new girlfriend, Jody Stakowski. And she gets a DUI. I guess we might have met her a little earlier, but she gets a DUI. I guess she's getting in trouble here. And these poor people just can't get out of their own way. I know. They're always (laughs) in trouble. It's sad. Yeah. And it seems like even in their community, they're not really well liked. So I think they already kind of have a target on their backs. Yeah. So it's like the dregs of this little town of Manitowoc or county kind kind of bound together. And this Jody seems like kind of a loser chick that... Stephen meets, and then he, all of a sudden, of course, he f- dreams of marrying her, and uh, um, he's he's loyal. He's kind of a loser, but he's loyal. Like, he wants to do the right thing all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is important. So they learned that in 1994-95 now that a phone call had come in from another law enforcement agency in Brown County, the Brown County Sheriff's Department, and that they had somebody in custody who had claimed to be on an assault of somebody or had assaulted somebody and somebody else was in prison for it. It's kind of like the Shawshank Redemption where the, they get the, the phone call that one guy's bragging about doing the crime that, that the guy was in jail for already. And, and of course, this is Stephen. Yeah. Stephen's in jail for something somebody else did. And we meet this officer, Andrew Coburn, who's the, he's the officer who got this call. So, of course, we think now that they think now that this was Gregory Allen. I guess they know now that it was Gregory Allen. And then so this this cop, Colborn, never made a report about any of this, even while Stephen was sitting in jail. So I, I think, yeah, out of all of the characters, I think Colborn was one of my least favorite. And even from this beginning with him in the video, and he was just a very unlikable person, I feel like. So he sits on this from 1995 till 2003. So those eight years go by. Stephen stays in jail for eight more years, and then and then he gets out in 2003. And so now they're now they have Colborn on the stand, and he's he's uh, he's talking about what he did, and he talks about how he contacted his superior James Link. So here's this guy James Link you had mentioned earlier, and I think if you have more details on it, Liz, I just remember that Col- Link tells Colborn Colburn to write the report, and they don't give it to anyone they just put it in a safe yeah it seemed it seemed very strange because it was the day after Stephen had gotten out they decided that eight years later they needed to write this report and they thought it was so important that they had put it in the safe um it just seemed like a very strange situation and it was very clear that they were covering up, I think, something. He, yes. he realized that things were going to be coming back to him. This call was going to be known of some sort, and he just wanted to, wanted to make sure he was okay. But kind of by doing this, I think he put himself under the bus. Right, and that's what, the, that's what Stephen's attorney said, that they, they did all this just to cover their tracks in case they had to have some sort of a record of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so more testimony in October of 2005, Link, um, Link 
says the sheriff had told Colburn that the case is already solved, so forget about it. Um, and that sheriff is Kenneth Peterson, um, the, the arresting officer, Stevens' arresting officer. And he claims he had never seen those forms. So they're starting to look like, okay, like they're they're worried about each other, blaming each other now. Yeah. <laughs> these attorneys are masters at turning these guys at each other. Oh, yeah, for sure. And even this even this Gene Couchet guy, he kind of says, I don't recall all the details of it. Yeah, but I think they had an idea. He probably didn't want to get on the bad side of the Manitowoc police, but I think I think they kind of knew. What what Couchet says he doesn't remember is the forget this we are forget this new call this new evidence because we already have the right guy. He just Couchet just says oh I don't remember that. So they withheld all this stuff from those defense attorneys and it made their prosecution case at the time stronger and it cost Stephen all that time in prison. Yeah, it was just a conspiracy of silence. So the only way I think Liz this this is important. I said it was important when I first started talking about it. I think it's important because the only way now. Like the only way they can wiggle off this hook that they're on is to get Steven on some huger crime. Exactly, exactly. And I think they had no out really um, because everything was out on the table. And I think the attorneys were doing a great job and finding all the little holes that they had created. And yeah, you're right. Exactly. They they needed something big to happen. They needed something huge to happen that would change everyone's mind about Stephen. And also because this was a conspiracy, because they conspired to not give this evidence to the defense, this is what nixes the insurance company's coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they prevented the truth from coming out, um, the insurance wouldn't cover it. So the Manitowoc County, the sheriff and DA would be personally responsible for all this. And, of course, the reputation of everybody would be ruined and maybe their retirement funds and everything. Um. So there's some interesting time now, Liz, they show this depositions were scheduled to go after these people, these these law enforcement people in 2005. So here's the dates on October 11th, um, Link and Sandy, Sandy were deposed. They were given their testimony on October 13th. Colburn and Dvorak gave their testimony uh, on, tw- on October 26th. Couchet gave his testimony on October 31st. Teresa Halbach is last seen. On November 1st, the Avery Bill passes. On November 3rd, Teresa is reported missing. And on November 4th, the news starts reporting that Teresa's missing. Um, and it's then, a, it's a, yeah, it's a crazy line of the timeline and how everything turned out. Yeah, so that's like two and a half weeks. Yeah. It's a really short time. Uh, you know, once they realize that they're in trouble, Teresa starts to get missing and then she's the news is reporting. And so somebody it's got to be connected somehow. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's so sad to think that though. Like that's the, that's the one reason why I don't want to think that is how could somebody go to that extent to get out of a certain situation? How could someone kill another human being to get right. out of a certain situation? That's the only thing that keeps me from saying absolutely. This was a police planned yeah. event. That I can't picture, I just can't force myself to picture police killing an innocent party to save even 12 or 15 people. Yeah, or even having some, or knowing something about it. I don't know, 
if they were the ones that killed her, but I do think that they had knowledge of things that were happening. Yeah, but I don't if, know. if they weren't the ones who organized it, then it was just a huge coincidence that in that yeah. little two-week span, she gets missing and killed. What a convenient crime to have happened. Yeah. All right. Well, Liz, she was 25 years old. Um, her car's missing. It's a 1999 Toyota RAV4. Um, we know now she worked for Auto Trader, taking pictures of cars that the Avery car lot sold, and they put them in the magazine. That's how they sold them. Um, and Stephen had take, had her take pictures before for him, and that he looked calm when the reporter was saying, "You know, Teresa's been here before. What's going on?" And he looked super calm. He didn't look worried. Didn't look, didn't look nervous. Didn't look guilty. He looks her like in the eye. Um, I totally believe him. I believe that whatever he's saying, he's being straight up about. Yeah, I do too. It seemed like he just knew that it was kind of protocol to visit every place that she had previously been that day. It didn't seem like he had any suspect, like that he was going to be a suspect. He didn't, he didn't have an idea that people were going to be saying he was the one that killed her. Yeah. He starts to do some things that are probably harmful to his case he let like he lets the police just check his house and who knows what they did when they were in there but yeah probably should have just said no i you're not going anywhere without a lawyer present um i don't know it just seemed believable but he seems gullible too yeah yeah um, so we meet the halbach family now we meet karen halbach is her mom we meet mike halbach her brother um their whole group their whole camp of people looks super dis- disturbed I, I don't know. They set up these search parties and posters and Mike Hallbach starts talking about how Teresa's, you know, going to be missed and they, they're, they're regretting that she's gone and they don't even know she's dead yet. This is, this is all suspicious of her brother. Yeah. They, that whole search party and that whole scene did seem kind of weird with the brother and the ex-boyfriend. I, I, they just seem strange, but I feel like I've never had that situation. Like, I don't know how it is to have a missing person in your family. So maybe that's how they reacted to it. But it just seemed very eerie. I didn't, I didn't like the way how it felt, the whole search party. Yeah. So, so for people at home who are keeping track of all this scorecard of names, it's Ryan Hilagas is the boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend. He's running the search. And Scott uh, Blodorn or Blodon is the roommate. She's living with some guy that's just a guy roommate, I guess. And um, so they're searching the fields. They're walking back and forth between the reeds and the brush and the creeks and all that stuff. And Pam Stern, Sturm is part of the search. I guess she's a she's a relative of Teresa's, maybe a sister-in-law or an aunt or something. She's yeah, the woman that I'm finds not, the RAV4. Yeah. Um, they find the RAV4 in the most ridiculously hidden spot, Liz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got like a crate. It's got like a pallet. And a branch going up against it, like that's really going to hide it. On the, exactly, yeah. On the I feel it. like I feel like the way it was hidden was exactly to mean what you said. Where it was, it was hidden. It was quote hidden, so it wasn't necessary. They wanted it to be found. They didn't want it to be hidden. Right. They wanted to be found on the Avery property. Right. Property. So it's of course it's like forty steps from the Avery main building. Yeah. Um, the police show up. There's a four-mile blockade around the Avery house. And there's millions of police cars and fire trucks and ambulances and hazmat teams. And I think I saw a helicopter. It's like they were ready. Okay, act one, it's ready to go. Let's pull the trigger on it. Like, it did yeah. look sort of planned. 
And, well, they were searching all around here, and I know Avery's place was probably one of the top places to look, but it didn't seem like they were focusing really on anywhere else other than, like, Avery's salvage lot when there were so many other places to look. Like, how did they know to be looking there? Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe because they knew she was there for the pictures. but the last scene. But then the reporter asked Stephen now what he thinks happened to Teresa, and he looks still. He looks her right in the eye, and he just answers, "I don't know." Mm-hmm. And he's not—he's not trying to fudge his words. He just looks like he's telling the truth. Um, but he does suggest that the county may be up to something here, planning evidence or putting something on him. And he just appears so calm that I—I I don't know. I—I I don't like this guy, but I do believe him. Yeah. No. I same. Yeah. All right, Liz, so here in the vote for the worst hated, most hated person, we meet Ken Kratz. Yes, absolute <laughs> worst. The, just his voice, I cannot stand. I think from the beginning, I cannot stand this man. So Ken Kratz is a special prosecutor in the next county over, Calumet County District Attorney. And he's appointed because he's away from Manitowoc, and they think that that'll give this some semblance of honesty because it's not Manitowoc prosecuting and investigating, it's Calumet County. And that, that makes it appear unbiased. But um, I don't know how true that is because he seems pretty certain the whole way through that he's got the right guy again right, right off the bat. Um, so they're interviewing Stephen. Again, he should have had his lawyer, I think, in this stuff. But Stephen's yeah. not concerned they're going to find anything. Um, yeah. Well, even – are you talking about when they had him and they were talking to him and he was in the – jail or are you talking about when he's at his house well uh, both but yeah, yeah now he's still at his house okay okay yeah because i later on when he does go in the jail and they're talking to him they were hiding him from his attorneys it seemed like and the attorneys were looking for him and they couldn't find him because they had him in jail right so they asked the calumet sheriff and kratz where he is and they yeah. didn't want to tell anybody where he is yeah. So they would have more time to talk to him without being present with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Pretty crappy. <laughs> Very. Um, but th- so then they show this video, Liz, of the of them searching his trailers. They, I guess, the police took their own video of themselves. They're going through the trailers, and Stephen has an invitation for the Wisconsin Innocent Pro- Innocence Project, and they're joking on the video that he won't be able to make it. Guess he won't be able to make it to that lunch. Like yeah. he's already guilty. And they're laughing. Yeah, that was one of the harder videos to watch. Like, because that situation, and then also they look in his closet and they see his shoes and they say, oh, should we take any of these for his, for any unsolved burglaries? And just saying comments like that, how, I feel like how can a decent human being even say that about someone? On tape. Right? Yeah. And knowing that it's going to be shown, I, I don't know. So kind of oddly, the the whole, I guess it's not odd, but the whole Avery family now is away from their home in, the, in some cabin for eight days while the search goes on. Again, kind of unprotected search without any legal representation there. They just stay in that cabin and wait for it to end, I guess. Yeah. I think they were able to do this to this family because they had no knowledge of their rights or knowing really what they could do. And I personally don't really know what you would be able to do in that kind of a situation, but I would imagine you would have a little bit more rights than what they were given. Yeah. Yeah. And now, um, Steven starts to look worried. He's starting, he's crying on camera and he's starting to be worried that they might have him, um, and might be planning to have him framed again. So he's tuned into that. He's pretty much onto that's exactly what they are trying to do. 
Um, then we see some kind of tearjerker scenes of Mike Hallback with hoping his sister's still around and not sure if he hopes they find her like body so they know what happened or they don't find her so they hope she's still alive somewhere and they're having candlelight vigils and her mom's worried. It's pretty sad watching this Hallback family. Yeah, yeah, it is, especially just not knowing, I think. And they want to hold on to any little piece of hope that they have to be able to find her. Yeah, so so now there's this interesting little scene between Mike, the brother, and Ryan, the ex-boyfriend, who they say they were never on the property. And while they're answering, I guess it's a reporter's questions, they're kind of looking at each other like, do you want to answer that one or should I answer that one? Like they're trying to keep their stories copacetic with each other. I don't know. They just look so guilty. <laughs> I don't know how they could be guilty of anything, but they just look guilty. Like they, they, I'm sure they know something is up and they know something is not necessarily right. Yeah. So of course they find evidence. Um, Jerry Pagel, who's the, the next County Calumet County sheriff makes a press statement. The crime is now a criminal event. It's a homicide investigation because they find blood in the garage and um, I think at this time, that's when they found bones and teeth in the burn pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and even, I'm not sure the timing of this, but he, I put a note that they had Teresa's key in Stephen's bedroom after yeah. the eight days. Yeah, well, that was after, I think it was day four, they found the RAV key in his bedroom. And I think that was one of the worst pieces of evidence because four days of searching that house and they couldn't find this key and then they it shows up on day four I think that was one of the worst one of the worst pieces of evidence and they found his DNA on the key but they didn't find any of her DNA on the key which means they could have cleaned the key off and put his DNA on it, or I don't know. I think that was one of the worst pieces of evidence. Well, Liz, there's a picture on Reddit. Somebody produced this picture. I don't know how they got it. They just zoomed in on the key, and yeah. it's got, like, if you cut a new key at a locksmith, how it has the grooves from the grinder thing that cuts the key, mm-hmm. and the, the key is, like, all shiny with perfectly symmetrical grooves. Like, it really? hasn't been in a RAV4 key ignition, you know, 7,500 times turned and scratched. It's just perfectly new. Like so, there it looks like a brand new key somebody cut. And like, I'm I would not be surprised because there's no way of if you owned a key or owned a car for that long that your DNA would not be on it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So this is where the attorneys start talking about how they can't find Stephen. He tells the the media that they can't even find Stephen. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, police are keeping him in jail, some undisclosed place, and they can't find him and protect him. And then we see what's going on. We see these guys talking to Steven, and it's two detectives, Tom Fassbender and Mark Weigart, are interrogating him. And um, they're just so clumsy and awkward and obvious. Like, you know how this works. Tell us what you know. You made a mistake. Help your family from suffering. They're just yeah. clowns. Well, the way they're talking to him, they're talking to him like he killed her, and they're saying what would your family think? Oh, your family, they would understand. Just co- just confess. They're, they'll understand that you did this. You were sad. And the way they just talk to him, it's very degrading and it's very hard to watch. It's too bad it, this poor slob didn't just know, like, get my attorney in here. I'm not saying another word. Too bad he just didn't know that. Yeah. His 70 yeah. IQ is really working against him. I, I know. I know. Yeah. 
So this is where now Pagel and Kratz, Pagel's the sheriff and Kratz, the district attorney from the Brown County, they become sort of hateable because they start portraying Stephen as guilty already. How it's an open and shut case. Um, and then all through this, Stephen just keeps denying pretty calmly while he's getting berated by these detectives and stuff, calmly denying it. Again, that's like one of my main reasons why I think he's innocent is he's he's not the smartest guy, but he stays true to his story and he does not waver and he does not change his mind. Um, I think someone like him, if he were guilty, he would have at this point, something would have not fit into place. But he was very, very clear that he was innocent the whole entire time. Yeah. And again, and maybe not positive. He's, I don't know, just so many mistakes and just clumsy yeah. police work. And so this scene, this episode kind of ends with Kratz um, denying that the evidence was tainted. The key was not planted. Steven's DNA was on the key. How could that even be possible? Her blood, his blood's in her vehicle. Um, we don't carry around vials of blood and DNA, but Liz, that's exactly what they do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly what they do. They go get a vial of blood from him and poke a hole in it and squirt it on the freaking key mm-hmm. or the the ignition port. Uh, it's so, so maddening. And they clearly have access to all of that. So... It, it's just a bit, it's a hard, it's a hard show to watch. And especially this episode, I think is the biggest turning factor. This is the episode that actually got me hooked on this show was where you really saw things turning and you started realizing this is a very big story that has not been exposed yet. And right. this documentary is showing so much, so right. much about this. Case. It is pretty easy to watch. It is pretty, pretty easy to rewatch it. Like yeah. it's not like oh this is a slog it's hard to get through it's interesting even the second time you watch it yeah and you see things that you didn't see the first time the first time you're just so in awe and so just un- it's unbelievable and now I'm starting to now I know the story I'm starting to see other things that I didn't see the first time so this episode ends with the like comically sad Stevens dragged into court in this goofy criminal like the Monopoly criminal, like the big black and white striped criminal suit. Yeah. Like how can they dress him up worse to make him look more guilty and more dopish than putting him in that thing? It's just, it's comically sad that they paint this guy so guilty so fast. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem like, I know his, her car was there, but it didn't seem like they looked at the typical suspects in a murder, the people that are closest to you, your family, your ex-boyfriend, your People like that. And I know, yeah, they saw they found her car there, but there are a lot of people that they did that they overlooked, I think, before yeah. taking on Avery. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's only episode two of ten, so it makes you wonder, like, okay, what's gonna happen here? There's eight more episodes. They jumped really far into this. No, it's only the end of episode two. Yeah. Um, a lot to come. A yeah. lot to come. So episode three is plight of the accused. Um, so Liz, thanks for filling in. You did a great job. I, I, I don't know if you like doing this, but if you ever want to do it again, I'd love to have you come on again. Yeah, it was uh, definitely fun. It's definitely interesting to rewatch this episode. Have you ever done a podcast before? I have not. My yeah. first one. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun. You, t- you get to watch and talk about it and take notes and figure stuff out and you know, I, and we get people that write in and say, oh, I agree with you that that happened that way. Or I disagree that you guys talked about it that way. It's, it's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. To get just it's fun to rewatch it and then have a purpose to talk about it again, because I love talking about making murder. 
Liz, do you have a, a Twitter handle you want to share with anybody? Um, I actually don't have Twitter, but I, yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Well, our Twitter handle for the show is scathing tweets at scathing tweets. So if you have any comments or you want to come in and make a comment on our website, it's westcoastproject.com. Yeah. So come back on and listen to it. And if you want to do another podcast, Liz, you're always welcome. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>